Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfin. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nachvetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestin Echo. Vientolum again omgrev or corn rachtum. Yatakshatorin Graven or Corson, Elistuhalagus Gimina Fracht, Gorokligs or Dukashin Echor. Only Venown, Thordorakshin. Shachten. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show with me, Adrian Weckler, the tech editor of the Irish and the Sunday Independent. This week we've got an interesting, fun, slightly depressing but hopefully stimulating show. I'm joined, we're talking about cinema and the future of cinema. And I'm joined by two people who know about this, Rick O'Shea, who you definitely know as, as the RT <laughs> broadcaster, and Andrew Lowe, who's co-founder of the Irish movie uh, company Element Pictures and co-owner of Dublin's Lighthouse Cinema. And one in Galway as well. I always mispronounce this, Andrew. Is it Paulos or Paulos? Paulos. 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 Okay, very, the very, Irish very nice. Guys, we're talking about, Rick and I were in a, Twitter conversation about a week ago with another uh, individual. And we were talking about what's going on uh, in cinema. And it was against the backdrop of a couple of things of uh, Cineworld closing uh, its cinemas. And now Disney Plus basically announcing that it's going to tweak its business model to look at streaming, to elevate streaming. Um, Andrew, I'll start start with you. We've spoken about this before. I kind of have a view that we're seeing a, a kind of a, a downgrading of cinema in our lives, even after COVID, just looking, reading the tea leaves all around me. Well, and I'm not expecting you to agree with that, but what would you say about that? Um, I, think, I think that's probably largely true, Adrian, to be honest. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of trends that are pre-COVID that have been accelerated, I suppose, by the impact of COVID. And the most obvious one is the... Uh, the dominance of streaming as a principal way of people watching watching content. Um, Netflix first more from a, a mail order business to a streaming business. The studios were very happy to take their money and, and sort of as yeah. easy money, as easy money. Um, but of course, you know, Netflix have built a very powerful competitor um, to the business uh, on, on the back of the content licensed by the studios. And, and, and very late in the day, they all kind of caught onto that fact and made the strategic decision in most parts, um, to launch their own competitive platforms to Netflix. So Disney plus, as you mentioned, is Disney's, um, platform HBO max for Warner brothers, uh, Peacock for, uh, NBC universal and to a greater or lesser degree, they are targeting, um, Netflix and, and Amazon. And, and trying to uh, build a relationship direct with consumers, which is uh, in the cinema space, something they've never had before. They've always gone through uh, uh, theater, cinemas. Um, so that is, um, it's been accelerated because people obviously reluctant to go to cinema. 
uh, in uh, with COVID restrictions in place. And then in many cases, such as Ireland at the moment, cinemas are actually physically closed anyway, so they just don't have the option to go to cinema. The, the only There's one thing, though, that the CEO of Disney uh, said uh, when he was talking about their streaming strategy now. Um, Bob Shapak, he said... Um, I would say COVID accelerated the rate at which we made this this transition, but this transition was going to happen anyway. Um, in my life, cinema was a thing that I have done, we have done, family and friends, all our lives, once a month, maybe maybe more. And it seems, for whatever reason, that that is kind of slipping away. Now, the figures say in Ireland that that's not necessarily the case. I I do I note the European figures, which show that we go to the cinema more often than anybody else in Europe. I think it's th over three times per month each per citizen or some, some, something like that. Um, and yet it seems that the conditions, so there's a perfect storm uh, lining up at the moment, that the conditions that uh, they just weren't there before, the, the, the multiplier effect of giant tellies in the home and fast broadband and the budgets now going into Netflix, Disney+, Plus. Um, and Amazon. So I'm just wondering, is this time different from all the other channel uh, challenges that cinema cinemas had? I, I I think it is fair. I mean, there have been waves of challenges in the past. Everyone predicted that television would would kill off cinema and, and video would kill off cinema, and that proved not to be the case. Um, but I think it probably is different this time. And and um, but it's it's sort of affecting different parts of the business in different ways. Um, you know, the I, I think it's fair to say the cinemas that are in deepest trouble right now are the big international chains. Um, yeah. AMC in the US is the second largest chain in the US, is the biggest, uh, it's owned by Wanda. They're the biggest cinema operators in the world. So they own Odeon here, for example. Um, and there's a lot of speculation uh, that, you know, they announced yesterday they, they run out of cash by year end or early in January. There's a lot of speculation that they may end up going bankrupt. Um, and as you as you uh, mentioned, Cineworld took the decision to close, and they own Regal in the US, which which is the the biggest chain in the US. So they're they're now closed. Um, you know, so they're in big trouble. Those big chains, particularly um, the ones that have built up over the last few years, are taking on a lot of debt. I think a, a, um, a AMC have something like five billion dollars of debt. Mm. So when your cinemas are closed and you've got to service five million debt, then then it doesn't matter what's going on with your business model; they're in trouble. In a funny way, taking, bring it back to what we do, um, you know, both our cinemas are local neighborhood cinemas, if you like, the uh, Lighthouse and Smith. Yeah, I'm, I'm in your neighborhood. Uh, I, w I went to I see Tenet that. there a couple of weeks and, ago. And thank you for supporting us, Adrian. Much well, I mean, um, it was, although, I mean, I have to say there was only, I'd say there were probably about 20 people in the cinema, 25 people in the cinema. You know, we were all socially distanced. Yeah. Now, it was a great experience and I, I do love going to the lighthouse I, I don't mind yeah. saying so mm. but when people talk about you know the lighthouse and they talk about um you know Rathmines and the Stella they're very boutique experiences aren't they? I mean th yeah. that's a totally different from a mass market come on everybody yeah. we're all going to the cinema yeah I, I I think that's right and I think from from our point of view that's a deliberate that's deliberately the case that's the part of the business we're, we're probably more interested in and and so in a way we feel probably more optimistic about our future than I would if I was operating, you know, a big, you know, yeah. cinema chain. Um, and I think, 
I think the other announcement you you flagged in your introduction that Disney's restructuring to focus more on delivering content for for their streaming platform, Disney Plus, that's really significant because Disney, don't forget, last year bought Fox. So they are now, you know, there were were six studios or seven studios, now there's five and they they, they control something like 40% plus of the market. So when they announce that they are going to focus more on delivering content to their streaming platform than cinemas, it's, it, it's, that's an almost fatal blow for big cinemas that require a huge throughput of blockbuster movies week after week to kind of... To yeah. Rick, I'm going to come to you in one second. Andrew, I know that you, you're under time pressures. I'm going to ask you one more question and then feel free to, uh, to, to float off. Um, in Europe, cinema tenses have been good over the last 10 years. By and large, they've been growing. In the States, completely different. I mean, they've been stable enough in the States, but over the last 16, 17 years, they've fallen by, I think it's 15 or 20%, Mm -hmm. while the population has grown by by 15%. What's going on there? Why is... Why, why, are, why is it falling in the States and it's growing here? Well, I, I think cinema going in the States is a very different, um, it's a very different kind of pastime almost. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's quite a cultural phenomenon, phenomenon that people in the States go week in, week out to the cinema um, and they'll turn up and they'll stand in the lobby and decide there and then what they're actually going to mm. see, if you like, almost. So it's just, it's, and it's quite, a, you know, it's a family thing. They all turn up and they all go and watch whatever's on that week. Um, so uh, I think as the quality of output from Hollywood has deteriorated and there's less of those films, they're bigger, more expensive films, but there's fewer of them being made. I think that has had an impact there. I think in Europe, um, as well as being dominated by Hollywood movies, each European territory has a domestic industry as well that, that in many cases is quite resilient. Obviously France is probably the strongest, but you get other countries like Poland and you know other countries that have pretty good domestic uh, box office that sustains. Mm. And it's interesting right now, um, you know, obviously cinema admissions are down all, all around the world, but a lot of European territories are reporting in the absence of Hollywood movies, there's actually now more space for smaller indie European films. And, and actually audiences are, are responding to that because to a certain extent, people just want to go to cinema right now if they can. Mm. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I guess, you know, the, the, we've always had, you know, a more plural offering, more diverse offering in Europe because we support European cinema as well. But are we closer to the Americans or the Europeans in that context? Um, I, I, I think nationally we probably are closer to the Americans. Again, I suppose my perspective is what we see and, and we're very much a kind of an artist um, operator. So we we have you know the best of European cinema as well as great indie movies out of the US and, and, and occasionally blockbusters out of the US. So uh, but yeah, we are. I think in terms of our cinema going, it's it's quite clear it's predominantly Hollywood fair. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Listen. Thanks. Thanks a million, Andrew. Um, Rick uh, and Andrew, feel, feel yeah, free to flow off if, if you longer. need to. No, no, you're you're grand. Um, Rick, um, there's a lot to be said for going to cinemas. I've made this point. I'm I'm coming at this from a pessimistic point of view, but it's actually it's somewhere to go, isn't it? Well, it's strange in that the conversation you and I had online initially, the one began with somebody, I think, said as part of that strand, they said, are we going to look on cinema as people now look on vaudeville or music hall? That sort of, you know, thing that used to entertain the masses back 80 years mm. ago. But you look at it now and go, 
why did people go to see the people who did the... I don't think it's that necessarily. And I think, I think Andrew's nailed it on the head. And I'm, I'm, I have no skin in this game at all, other than being like you, somebody who likes going to the cinema, somebody who, like you, has spent a very, very large amount of money in the lighthouse uh, because it's kind of close enough to being my local cinema as well. Um, I think that from what I can see and from the conversations that the likes of people like Andrew are having is you will have two sets of cinemas. So as he said, you will have the large multiplexes, the ones that are showing or would have been showing the Marvel movies, the Star Wars movies, uh, all of those. And they appear to be in really serious trouble because even mm. the other day, um, uh, Marvel, uh, Disney rather, announced that the most uh, recent, the upcoming Pixar release, um, Soul, the one that's due yeah. to Christmas, Soul is now not going to turn up in cinemas and instead it's going to be on Disney Plus. And it appears, unlike Mulan, it's not going to be on Disney Plus as a pay-for option. It's no. simply going to be part of the platform. Yeah. Um, that for somebody like the, the Pixar subdivision of Disney is an enormous statement because that means we've gone out, we've spent three, three and a half years, however long it is, making this film. We've now made a decision that this is where it's going to go. And I think primarily that's because if you're like me and I have Disney Plus, I've now reached that point where with my kids who are now, my two youngest are like 13 and 16, we've just rewatched all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. They don't really care for Star Wars. And they need How dare to you, Rick? Go on. They need, look, it's just, it's my children <laughs> and not me. Please don't judge. They have, uh, Disney Plus will now find themselves in a situation whereby they need a strong throughput of brand new movies and not, you know, the sort of movies that traditionally would have gone, what we would have called straight to DVD. You're talking about the ones that kids will really look forward to two or three months in advance. And unless Disney Plus has that, people will just go, am I going to renew my subscription this month? Maybe not. And it's like, it's as Netflix have done now. Although obviously with Netflix, you're, you're literally surrounded by more films than you could possibly watch ever. And it sometimes is overwhelming when you open up your Netflix to see what's new. Um, I think Disney seemed to have made that decision. Now for arthouse cinemas, like the Lighthouse, like the Polos, like the IFI, I think it's going to be a different world for them because ultimately yeah. films they show are much smaller budget movies. They are sometimes films that are made on a couple of hundred thousand mm. dollars. They're films that don't need to make nine figures in order to justify their existence. So they can play in smaller cinemas. They can play in socially distant cinemas. There is a certain a certain you know kudos to playing in physical cinemas if you're potentially going to be something that might be winning awards as well and ultimately they can go on streaming afterwards as tends to happen and has done for the last few years films will sometimes show up in the likes of the lighthouse they'll play for two weeks maybe three weeks and relatively quickly you'll see them being available on, on streaming services after mm. that so if, if i were for Andrew, and he knows this far better than I do because he obviously runs the business, both as a, as, as a filmmaker on one side of it with Element and as somebody who runs a cinema with uh, Lighthouse and, and Paulus, I'd be far more optimistic being him than I would be if I was somebody running a large 15, 20 screen multiplex at this point because I have this terrible, terrible feeling that we're going to end up with hulks of cinemas empty and closed and shuttered and maybe half of the cinema screens that we have now. I mean, I, I kind of agree with you on, on all of those points. And what we're talking today is about cinema in our lives. And for most of us, cinema is not just, you know, the lighthouse of the i5. It, it is going to the multiplex with kids on a date by yourself, the, the latest uh, blockbuster. Um, I remember uh, I think you had the same reaction as I had when Savoy One decided to split up the Savoy One uh, cinema <laughs> into 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 different, uh, and that to me felt 
it was a real hammer blow to the idea of the the romantic idea of the big cinema that we all go to together, that we all share an experience. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the Ambassador Cinema on um, uh, O'Connell Street. I remember seeing The Empire Strikes Back there. I, I remember it, in, in town, you there were not only the Ambassador and Savoy and the Carlton, there was the Adelphi around the corner. Now it really sound like an owl fella. There was the Screen Cinema, which lasted uh, quite a long time. It was a real part of our life. In terms of, you said something very interesting there about you know, you're at a stage of your life um, where this, you notice this, or you notice that, and maybe your habits are starting to change. In a similar way, I'm wondering, culturally, are there things about us now that are different 10, 15, 20 years ago in our reaction to cinemas? For example, anytime I float this out there about cinemas online, social media platforms, the biggest complaint I get back, or the biggest reason that people quote for not going to the cinemas is annoyance with other patrons, right? Now, I mean, that's I'm, that's probably consistent down the ages, but I'm wondering, are we in an era now when the guy sitting beside you having a giant thing of nachos or checking his phone and nonstop is now enough to, to, to give you a bad experience for going to the cinemas, whereas maybe 10, 15 years ago when we weren't as sophisticated, you'd sort of put up with it. I think there's a couple of things at play here. I think you are almost entirely right. I think for me as a cinema goer, as a guy who is 47 years old and has spent his entire life living in cinemas. We're exactly the same age, by the way. Where in, in, you've just got much better hair than I do. <laughs> um, we've, I've been that person who has in recent years found myself going, there's a guy and he is, he's sitting over for me and he's checking his phone every time. Or worse still, those people who are sitting three rows behind you who are doing the running commentary and going, what did he just say? No, he didn't say that, did he? I didn't hear that very well. Is that, is that are you sure he's the guy from earlier? I'm not sure. He do, might be the spy. do you know what? E even though with that, because sometimes I'll be sitting in a cinema and there'll be a couple of owl ones right next to me and they're doing that. And yeah, yeah. there's something, I can kind of almost forgive that because it's, it's, it's out there. It's a traditional form of, it's the guy who's sitting two or three rows in front of me who's checking his social media nonstop and there's like lightsaber beams uh, of light yeah. uh, going up. It's that sort of distraction. But to me, I, I've walked out of a cinema maybe three times in my life and all three times it was because somebody, you know, uh, behind me, in front of me, you know, was doing something like that. But I'm wondering, is that just because there's a larger sex segment of us that are beginning to be like, are just more neurotic? Uh, no, I think there's a combination of things. I think there are those people who think that they can multitask their way through everything. So they're the same people who when, you know, they're watching, and I've done it when I'm watching football matches on TV, fine, mm. you occasionally let yourself, you know, slide a little because it, yeah, there's a dull 10 minutes and you do occasionally try to live tweet stuff. But my kids who I, who I talk to, and who, who do attempt to, they're not allowed to do it when they're sitting and watching a movie with me, obviously, mm. but they do uh, kind of find their interest waning and they certainly would find themselves not in cinemas, that's definitely not a thing, but at home. And, and I do have to say to them, you know, you know you're know, going to miss what's happening unless you actually pay attention yeah. to what's happening here. Now, I think for me in recent years, I've gone to the multiplex a lot less than I would have. And I've almost stopped going to multiplexes for primarily those reasons. I go to places it's like the IFI and the Lighthouse, because pretty much every time I go there, I know everybody who's there is there to see the movie. They're going to be respectful of the film. You're going to pay attention. Are, 
they're going to pay attention to what's going on and odds are they're not going to spend their time uh, either talking amongst themselves or on their phone. In fact, particularly if you go to the IFI, they have specific graphics that say, please do not switch your phone on during it because the light distracts other people. Mm. I, I think that will be a kick for a lot of people towards the home experience. But I think one thing you and I haven't factored into any of this, and it's a discussion I had with somebody else as well, is going to the cinema is a way of getting out of the house. It's a yeah. way of getting out with the kids in particular, if you have young kids or even just yourself, you're going out you know, with your other half. And I think once all of this is quote, all over and done with in one form or another, there is going to be a mass outpouring of people who will want to travel, of people who will want to eat in every restaurant known to man, of people who will want to go to the theatre, and of people who will absolutely want to throw themselves into cinemas just because we will have spent a very long time staring at the four walls of our own houses, or we're still staring at the four walls of the house that you share with six other people. I, listen, I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, on that's a lot of agreeing going on in this this podcast, but um, is I that worrying? Would you like me to be more? I, I could be more. <laughs> no. I, no, I can't. No, I can't. No, Sorry, no. The one, the one reason uh, that I can see in favour of cinemas, even multiplexes, still being there in some shape or form, is literally the point you made. It's literally somewhere to go outside your house, no matter how big your telly is, no matter you know whether it's four K, eight K. I saw somebody trying to upload a twelve K. Uh, video uh, the other day. No matter no matter how good your uh, your subscription uh, service is, or how many of them you have, you actually physically want to leave the house sometimes, and and it's a very ha- handy, relatively affordable. If you don't go crazy on the popcorn, um, relatively f- affordable trip. Uh, you know, to get a family out for maybe forty, fifty quid. Um, to see something. I, I think that maybe the problem, Adrian, though, is that this won't be in our hands. It will be in the hands mm. of studios. So ultimately, if studios and enough of them and Disney who own whatever it is, 40% of the market in the US, and if enough other large studios decide, do you know what, guys, we've spent decades having a middleman and we've had to you know, pay some money to that middleman to have these bricks and mortar buildings in mm. the middle of places and instead what we can do is make our movies and just beam them into the retinas of the people who we would like to watch those movies and we cut out the middle guy if we get rid i guarantee you there are conversations happening in boardrooms in major studios in america where they are talking about whether or not they need the middle guy from a financial standpoint and once i mean listen and that's understandable I mean, they're they're business people, right? The the movie business is one of the most cutthroat. I mean, people talk about big tech companies being ruthless. Oh, my God. From what I've read, they've nothing on the studios. I mean, the studios are like proper gangster level, all all legit, but all proper gangster level. I I think they're they're businesses, but also they are people who a lot of them get involved in this business to make art. And that's also slid on the other side because because in recent times you've had so many major filmmakers, the Martin Scorsese's of this world, making films with Netflix money and with budgets that they would potentially not have been given by major studios and given creative freedom that studios wouldn't have given them. And that's as to whether that's a good thing or not, you know, the Irishman could have been done with being half an hour long or half an hour shorter than it was, or even potentially half as short as it was. Um, and minus that scene with De Niro when he's kicking the guy in the street and you're like thinking, oh no, it just doesn't work. He's 
I, that, I mean, would, that would have been number five or six on my list. I did just, just but, right. but the prestige of making films for, for streaming providers, that's no longer a problem and no longer an impediment to getting you nominated for an Oscar. So once that has slid, once the financial imperative has slid, maybe we will find ourselves, certainly with studios who are spending large amounts of money on, uh, on movies. Obviously, Disney put Milan out uh, and they didn't put it out for, for free on Disney+. Plus quote unquote, you had to pay a, a premium. That obviously worked sufficiently well for them to consider doing mm. the same sort of thing again in the future and to take a brand new Pixar film and put it out at Christmas. We don't know how much money they've made because obviously that's commercially sensitive and you don't get box office figures in that way, but it's obviously been worth it for them. And if it has been, that could be the end of the game. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, just looking at the figures, over recent weeks, Andrew referred to them. I'm in 130 cinemas across Ireland and the UK in one group, Cineworld Group, uh, closing. Now, maybe not for good. Uh, maybe that's just for a year or two until this whole thing is over. AMC, as he mentioned, uh, uh, running out of cash. Um, I think maybe one of the real tests might be kids' movies, the battleground uh, there, because you mentioned Disney Plus, you mentioned kids and whether or not you'll go and see something like maybe if soul for example comes out uh on disney plus at the same time as it hits cinemas maybe you will maybe you won't bring them to 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 see you probably won't um mm. but uh, we've had a few other examples of that as well there was a movie called trolls world tour which i didn't even know about the trolls franchise but that actually was put out as an internet rental apparently made 80 or 90 million dollars yeah. which was pretty decent but by, by you know by all accounts spongebob squarepants i think uh, was uh, another one but um if 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 all of this continues i just i mean i live within five miles of three large multiplexes and i just can't see them i can't see them um surviving in 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 the same uh, in the same capacity mm. yeah i i one of my my behind the scenes interest for a very long time has been cinema history of Ireland and cinema buildings in Ireland as well. And I went through a real phase a number of years ago where I started collecting books about Irish cinema history. Because I'm like you, I would have remembered there being maybe 10 cinemas in the centre of Dublin, right around before when the Adelphi and the Carlton and the screen on O'Connell Bridge as it was, and then the screen on Delir Street, before all of those started to close mm. and all started to, 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 to disappear. Um, there was a period in Irish cinema history where there were cinemas everywhere, where there was a cinema around every corner in every suburb. Then there was a closure, there was a consolidation. They ended up becoming these much larger buildings. They may be the, the, the white whales of this situation in that potentially you will be able to keep a two or three or four screen cinema open if it's small enough. And like with the lighthouse, you've got a, you've got a coffee place attached. You know, mm. you can have a beer while you go in and you sit down and, and watch your movie. But if you're playing large square footage on a 17 screen cinema somewhere, and you know you can only half fill those screens and even then studios aren't necessarily putting out films that people want to go and see in cinemas which is the crucial part mm. that might be the, the tipping point for you and i know you say that maybe cineworld are just going to warehouse these cinemas for maybe a year or two but after two years it's that's the end of the game the, 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 there won't yeah. be an industry that will be exactly the same as it is the way we look at it now or it's a own. property play as much as anything else at, at that point for a friend of mine asked me an interesting question he posed an interesting question around this if you take the james bond movie no time to die which has been delayed and delayed may end up eventually going out uh, online first but he asked the question, if everything is going to go on to uh, platforms first and not skip uh, skip the cinemas, what happens to $400 million budget movies? Like, will there be 
outside of maybe two or three Disney or Marvel movies per year that are uh, that are designed to be tentpole content for those platforms and maybe Netflix might have two or three big ones like The Irishman or a few big series what happens is this the end of the Mission Impossible franchise will we ever see big you know uh Bond movies again I think I think we know that's not true. The question, and I don't have an answer to this because I'm not the numbers guy in this, but is, so if you're a studio that makes a $300 million movie, which goes out and makes $600 million at the box office, so in theory, you've made $300 million on that, but you've also spent another maybe $70, $80, $90 million on marketing that film. You don't make a dollar on every dollar ticket that is bought in the cinemas because some of that goes to the uh, other sub-distributors. Some of that will go to the cinemas themselves. If you yourself are making a far greater percentage on those ticket prices, do you then only need to make, uh, and okay, let's say, for instance, a film won't be made for $300 million. If you've made a film that costs $100 million to make, will you make your money back on 150? Would you be able to make $150 million on a film that's being sold directly to, to people around the world? Again, once you've taken the middleman out, I don't think that's going to happen. I can't see those giant, enormous movies disappearing. Um, CGI makes things an awful lot cheaper to make these days. It doesn't make them vastly cheaper and actors are still expensive. Yeah. But I, I think that will all depend on the bottom line of how much money a studio makes the difference between that being uh, that which is made through cinemas and everybody they have to go through to get there or whether it's something that can be put out on a platform either of their own or put it on every platform. Yeah. Do you know what? It's also possible, um, this is a real alpha thing to say, it's also possible that... <laughs> The, the 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 really massive budget movies that there's a sliding scale of appreciation within audiences for the impact or the additional uh the additional impact that that money has brought to it and like i'm thinking of films like um take the mission impossible series yes there's lots of stunts yes there's there's an awful lot of aerial photography all that all that stuff uh, i mean if you if you were just to put more thought into it and have fewer stunts, if you made it more like the Bourne identity, you might make as much. I, I'm not convinced that throwing an extra hundred million dollars at something. Now the studios will say, I have no idea what I'm talking about. That that actually they can show me the database which says that if you spend this much on these elements in a film, you will actually attract these demographics into it. I think Netflix have spoken about that before. I, I, I interviewed the guy who's now become the chief ex executive, Ted, Ted Sarandos, or the co-chief executive, um, a couple of years ago. And I asked him about certain shows that they were commissioning. And I, I was a bit baffled. There was one, which is Vampires and Wolves. I can't remember the name of it now. I ended up watching a season of it, but it was kind of mediocre. And I used mm. that as an example because they'd spent something like 40 or 50 million making it. And he said, with regard to that, the reason they make shows like that is they know that there's about two or 3% of their subscribers who will always watch something with Vampires and Wolves in it. Therefore, it doesn't actually matter whether it's not brilliant. Um, it just matters that it's there. Same with Adam Sandler. Netflix has an obsession with making Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> and uh, and, and Sarandos, he, he made the same point. He said, look, we actually have an awful lot of subscribers, more than you'd think, who really like Adam Sandler. So we'll put him into anything. We'll spend quite a bit of money on it. And uh, it'll keep subscriptions. 
Uh, I think that's it's one of the major problems in Netflix. And Netflix has an awful lot of good things going for it as well. I have Netflix. I pay for it every month. I go in with optimism, looking to see whether or not I'm going to find something absolutely incredible. And the amount of times in the last year, year and a half, where I've sat through another new Netflix comedy and come out the far end having laughed three times and gone, God, that was a waste of 90 minutes of my life. But as you said, it, with, you know, with algorithmically based programming like that, if they know that there is a certain percentage of their audience who really want to see films either with a certain star or on a certain topic, then that's enough because, and it obviously has to be because Netflix doesn't charge you for each movie they show you. They are making these enormous series. They're making these huge films. And that's just to make sure we keep throwing out our 10 quid or our 12 quid. uh, Which we do, which we do. Which we do, because you know, next month, the best thing ever might turn up. It might be the first season of House of Cards again. Not the last season of House of Cards, but it might be the first season of House of Cards again. Uh, uh, Who knows? You know, even, but even me, I'm a sucker for these things. I'm back watching the first series, the original Star Trek, because it's there. And that's, for me, I'm going, You mean the 60s Star Trek with Kirk? Yeah, yeah, the original Star Trek. I've started rewatching it again from from the beginning, because I need a comfort watch at the moment right now. Yeah. and that's and that's been and it's one of the reasons that we rewatched all of the Marvel Cinematic Universe films over the last kind of six months where, at weekends with, with the kids because we needed comfort watches. Mm. Um, There's a lot again, of that going I, around I, at the moment. I, I I think I think whatever it is that happens in the next year, two years, I think that the I think that the way we view movies, the way we pay for movies, and the way we uh, cinemas cinema is made in general is going to change in one form or another. I don't think it'll be unrecognizable. I think it would be an immense shame if cinema ceased to be what it was. But there's that other part of me that goes, I'm thinking about my grandchildren. I'm thinking in You have grandchildren? No, I'm thinking about them. I'm thinking about my potential. My eldest is only 22. We'll have less of that. I'm thinking in in 15 years, you know, when he has his first one, and then in another 15 years when I'm having a conversation with that kid, and they go, he used to, hang on, so he used to spend money, a lot of money, and he used to have to travel to go into a big dark room and sit with complete strangers who you didn't like and who probably made noises you didn't like and they ate smelly food you didn't like and they and they turned on lights in the middle of you watching this and you paid a lot of money to do that instead of just sitting and watching it in your giant jumbotron comfort sofa i have a terrible feeling that's going to happen yeah do you know what your your response to that is come on kid where's your sense of adventure you mean you you know leave your bubble they will already have probably, you know, been in Earth orbit at that point. Their sense of adventure will be in completely different places. It's you. I, I, I agree completely with you. Um, Rick, listen, total pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks. Uh, thanks a lot for your uh, your erudite uh, views. Always uh, very culturally um, informed. Thank you very much. It, 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 do you know what? It's a thrill to just not be the one asking the questions. I get to sit here. I get to sit in my hoodie and have somebody else ask me things. It's, it's, it's By the way, you, great. Uh, great bookshelf um, uh, much more impressive than my background so that's that's you look you know Mm -hmm. we all do what we can with what we have indeed well that's that's Rick O'Shea uh, RT Broadcasting thank you very much Um, and that is all we have time for this week uh, today so from me Adrian Weckler the tech editor of the Irish and Sunday Independent I'll see you the same time next week bye bye 